Canadian Football Perspective is proudly presented by our good friends over at Fox 40, introducing the new generation of electronic whistles brought to you by Fox 40. The new rechargeable Fox 40 electronic whistle produces 120 decibels of software-defined sound power with the push of a single button. You can pre-order yours today at fox40shop.com. That's fox40shop.com. And don't forget, they've given you a great offer here through Canadian Football Perspective. You can take 15% off your entire order with the code CFP15. Again, fox40shop.com. Use the promo code CFP15. Apologize for not being able to get on the same page and bring you the breakdown for the last little while, but we are uh, bringing it to you throughout the month of October. Fingers crossed. I know DT is going to have a hectic time during the playoffs, so we'll do our best to get through uh, the rest of the season every week delivering to you. But uh, thankful to have at DT on OB on the other side here. Of course, you can catch him on 680 CJOB as the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, which I think we were probably about. 20 feet apart from each other at the Hall of Fame game that was in Hamilton and, and weren't able to cross paths. I even did a pregame radio hit with you as I was walking my dog and pushing a stroller and on my phone. Uh, so that, that was a that was a hectic one, but I hope that you had a, a good last month or so here, DT. I know the Bombers have had yeah. an interesting journey. Do you, want, do you want to do a little broadcaster behind the scenes about the Hamilton game? Yes, I'd love that. So the booth that the visitors get in Hamilton, you had the home booth for a while, which I assume is in a better location. The visitor booth in Hamilton uh, is on about the eight-yard line, which, one, not ideal to start with. But we, we went in there, and it's not set up as a radio booth. It's like a, it's some, it's some, it has some other base design, so it doesn't have a phone jack, and there were, there were certain other problems. Uh, we had our setup, which we would just connect, you know, a little Ethernet jack, boom, plug it in, we're good to go. None of the Ethernet jacks worked, and our tech, you know, got there an hour ahead of time and went. Wait a minute, this isn't this isn't working. What's happening here? Tried to bridge a computer to it, that didn't work. Had to phone the overlord of tech at Tim Hortons Field to come and fix it. Problem was, the broadcast was about to start, uh, yeah. and fifteen minutes, ten minutes. I thought we're going to start doing the pregame show on our phones, so. Uh, I get, I, t- I take Doug Brown's phone. I'm like, Doug, let me just download this app for you. I have the app on my phone. And we started doing it on two telephones. And then 
I had to walk. You actually had to. Yeah, we absolutely did. It was on timeline on two different phones. I walked down the hall to go to a different room. So Doug and I were each talking to our phones, and then eventually. Doug, Ed Tate, the longtime sports writer, now Winnipeg Blue Bombers employee, and I, three of us just standing in the hallway, passing a phone back and forth for the first 45 minutes of the pregame show while they nailed down the tech and while they figured out what was wrong with the Ethernet jacks. It was incredible. People were walking by like, hey, what's happening? Just doing a pregame show live on the radio. That's that's amazing. You know what? That is so much fun because radio should be social like my favorite memories of doing am sports radio is being in a public place and just like hey you want to come sit down for it like it's the idea of like radio row right where you're just kind of there and it's like people are coming and going it's free flowing those are the shows that fly by the fastest i always found is when you are around people and it was just great conversations all around which you and, and ed and doug always have regardless but yeah, being able to uh, to do that under those circumstances is not easy. First of all, I can't believe you had to do that. Second of all, forty five minutes is a long time when you're doing it that way, and and that like you already have a long day with that pregame and broadcast of the game and then postgame, and adding to the stress of that, I do feel for you because I don't think people realize, and it might sound like we're you know whining, but unless you have hosted a broadcast that is that long. Uh, you don't understand how much it drains you to have to go outside of your usual norms that you just like strap the headset on my head and let's get to work and we can do this. And then when you change the whole dynamic, it's like mentally, it's just like jumping through another level of hoops, right? Yep. Yeah. I I always find when I approach the day, I'm like, man, game's over. I'm going to grab bite to eat. I'm going to rip home and I'm going to start doing this and that and this. And by the time like, Three hours of the game and an hour of the post game after two of the pregame. So six drained. hours. A- absolutely drained. Yeah. There's no chance I'm going back to chart the Red Blacks Al West game <laughs> because you just it's out of you, right? Because I mean, especially if if it's an interesting game. Actually, honestly, it's probably in any game, even if you were calling the uh the Elks our, our friends in Edmonton called that Elks Montreal game, which had to be the biggest letdown. Like you are just you're riding with them and man, they're on the five yard line. This is gonna be great. Oh, it's a hundred five yard pick six, and now all the energy leaves my body. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have that right with the bombers being thirteen and two, uh, and you know, ma- mashing the the uh, this the they played the Riders this past week, mashing the Riders this past week. But you still, you're you're up and you're around and you're inquisitive and you're, and then by the end you're like, oh, okay, we've talked about everything, and now I'm going to go into sleep mode. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I I'll throw this out as well because everybody who's worked in AM Sports Radio has like horror stories and all of that. There's two that came to mind for me when you were telling your story. One is Tim Hortons Field is notorious for having a terrible setup, whether it be technology or whatever. Like that building is is not brand new, but it's fairly modern and it should have everything that we need. And there's constantly problems, including in the home booth, in which we had a problem where randomly throughout game broadcast, we would get blasted with about 120 decibels worth of static once a quarter. And nobody could explain it. And it would happen. And Coach John Salavanis or Mike Morielli, myself, we would all rip our headsets off in pain and then put our headsets back on. And you never knew when it was coming. It was random. They investigated the line, everything else. I don't understand radio technology. I'm just a stupid person who likes talking football and straps a microphone in my face and goes. But... We talked to everybody that was a tech, and they're like, we don't know, man. So we had to, like, I guess, rip all the wiring out, put all new stuff in ahead of the next season. Uh, but that was tough. Uh, similarly, I called 
a Chad Owens touchdown. That that's a throwback um, for the Tie Cats on phone uh, at Tim Hortons uh, because because yep. our technology just crapped out, which made for great content for the morning radio show because we were laughing at it. Uh, but the one that jumps out to me in terms of the stress of not knowing whether or not you're going to begin your pregame show or your broadcast on time because of where you are. We had one of you, I don't know if you'd remember who this is. I don't know off the top of my head, but when you were still doing the riders play by play and we came into new mosaic for the first time and yep. we thought that we had everything set up, ready to go. And you guys had some like futuristic space age technology that was incredible and clear, but we didn't have the right setup at our station to be able to connect to it because we were like outdated and so we just found out like, hey, you know, we weren't doing pre, uh, the pregame from inside the stadium. So we were just told, you know, 90 minutes to kick. And it's like 60 minutes to kick, 45, 30, 15. We still had no program in our ear. We couldn't hear what was going on. We couldn't hear the pregame show. And, you know, we're helpless at that point. We're just on location in Regina. Hey, if they connect, they connect. If they don't, they don't. We're here to do our job. We'll see what happens. I swear to God, DT, 30 seconds. Like literally they're, the players are running out for kickoff. And all of a sudden, boom, I hear commercials in my headset. And I look at Coach Sal, and I'm like, yeah, 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 we're good. We're good. Let's do this. And then it's like, you know, they the commercial ends, and I just hear in my ear from back in studio, or I got a text maybe. It was like, you're good, you're good. And then I was like, welcome to welcome to Mosaic, everybody, Marshall Ferguson, Johnson. And we just like off and running with the broadcast. Nobody ever knew. But in the booth, we went, we went from like feeling as though we were on the face of Mars all alone and so out of place and like why did we fly here if we can't yeah. connect into like mentally ramp up okay it's go time now let's begin <laughs> so that stuff does happen it's it's a little crazy but we'll uh we'll, we'll move forward here i know amazing uh, the the bombers broadcast have been a lot of fun for you specifically against the saskatchewan rough riders uh because i was going through the month of september and for some reason i had not pieced together maybe because i haven't called a game in a month uh but i had not realized Nick Dembski had six touchdowns in the month of September. Zach Kalaros against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders had 10 touchdowns, no interceptions. Like, it, it, wasn't yep. per, it wasn't perfect, right? There were moments in games, if you really want to chip them apart, break them down, and be like, well, they didn't look good in this quarter, or Zach made a bad throw here that could have been intercepted, whatever. But you look, yep. at the, you look at the big picture, man. Holy! Those three games against the Riders this year, it was like face punch, face punch, face punch three times in a row that just cemented what the riders are at this point and what the bombers are going into the playoffs. Yeah, and we have to excuse the middle one, right? Because the, there were a lot of riders really sick during that game, yes, right? Whatever true. that bug was that was going through. Uh, they hang the 50-burger on the riders in that game. But, I mean, Nick Dembski mentioned six touchdowns in a month. He never had more than four in a season. But... Uh, that, Right. And so he is absolutely flying. And it, it's incredible because as I as I look forward to all-star ballots, I go, who's gonna be my who's gonna be my Sam linebacker, my dime defensive back? It's probably in the West in the West gonna be Derek Moncrief. It's right. just probably gonna be Moncrief. He's the in all three of those games, and I kept calling back to it when it happened, the bombers found a way that they would attack Derek Moncrief and they would beat him for a big catch, a pass interference call. Uh, you know, Moncrief bats one away, but I think they got him for a touchdown in this one too. And I go, wow, they're really, they don't, they don't care who's on the other side, right? Oh, no. it's Moncrief. He's incredible in cover skill and a huge body and can do him with multiple things. Hey, you know what? Let's go after him with Shown this time. It's, it's incredible to watch and to think, I mean, they're getting this from Dembski. Uh, they're getting 
Dalton Schoen's just been the rookie of the year for I don't know five weeks or so. Yeah. Like it, that that award's been. I, on I lock. would say ever since the game that Ellingson was out on the road in Edmonton, when you had that great touchdown that we use in our open, where he cuts back against Deron Carter, like that yeah. was that was the moment for me where I'm like, this dude is on a completely different level than all of the other rookies right now. Yeah, absolutely. So they've had that, but Ellingson has only played about half of the games. Uh, they've lost Drew Olatarski now. Like. The, the number of injuries, and I, I've put this stat out in a few spots, like they've lost just the starters, just the 24 offensive defensive starters, they've lost 75 man games to injury, which is t- more than 20% of the starts in the end of their entire season. It's amazing what they've been able to do at defensive back, at receiver. Uh, I mean, it's it's been incredible. So, yeah, that, that Dembski is is going off, and Zach Kalaris said he, he's the best deep ball tracker in the Canadian Football League. That one straight over the top, yeah. that any, any of us who played any kind of football remember how much fun the one straight over the top was, but that stuff's on like, oh, no, it's a little this way. As as last night I watched Devaris Daniels just absolutely <laughs> baffled by any ball over the top in last week's game. I go, oh, Dembski is Dembski's on fire. I just got to say this about the DeVar Daniels stuff, because I was tracking last night as well, Toronto-Calgary, and I saw that play that you're talking about, kind of like a seam ball down the left side, outside the hash, inside the numbers, and and Daniels misplays it and just doesn't, like you're saying, track it, doesn't see it the right way. I know that Ryan Dinwiddie is a stubborn play caller. I didn't realize he was so stubborn that on basically the next offensive play when they got back onto the field, he's like, yo, run that shit again. That's open. Like, he's basically just like, I, I schemed you open. Why are you not catching? Like, Mac, put it where you did last time. Dwarves, go make a goddamn play. And he calls it and, again, and it's the, almost the exact same thing that happens over the top. I was like, oh, man, that's when you know you've had a bad day. Yeah, I, I wish I could. I wish I just wrote a note to myself to go back and check. Does Dwarves Daniels have trouble with the ball over the top? Because two catchable ones in the same game that if you just, instead of putting your hands here, put them here, and you would have had it. I just... I need to go back and see if that's a thing, but it was it was certainly a thing for one game. But uh, yeah, the the Bombers receiving core. Uh, I think at the beginning of the season I said it's probably the seventh best receiving core in the CFL. As currently constituted, it's probably right around there still. But oh my goodness, are they ever getting production uh, from everybody? And it probably comes back to the MOP Zach Calares ultimately. Yeah. But I'll yeah, it's say this about the Toronto Calgary game here. Um... The score line was not the same. The overall tenor was not the same. But I was there for sixty to one, Hamilton Calgary mm-hmm. in McMahon. That felt very sixty to one ish to me. Like, and I think it was the fact that Jake Mayer had the two interceptions and uh, completed a lower percentage than he usually does in games, and they weren't getting a ton out of the running game. Like Kadeem Carey got a carry in the fourth, and I thought, oh, I haven't seen him in a while. Like this is kind of strange that you know they're just tra- starting to kill clock, but they hadn't really been relying on him all that much. That game should have been significantly more out of hand I think based on the way it felt if Calgary had played up to their standard and, and Toronto Macbeth was 0 for 7 on passes of 20 yards or more in that ball game and obviously plays like Daniels didn't help all that much but before we get off the Bombers I want to mention uh, two things that came to mind for me specifically this past week one is when they lost Kenny Lawler in free agency I really thought this was going to be Rashid Bailey's o- almost like group like I thought he was going to be the one that would own this until, you know, they get Ellingson, you start to think, well, you know, maybe it's one and two and maybe Ellingson's the main. And, but Bailey, I feel like has really been coming on as of late. Like he's made some great throws. He started to be more involved in the offense. And honestly, his confidence level just looks higher. 
which is not a great analytic, but to be able to see him running routes a little bit smoother, catching the ball, not fighting it, running over the middle, catching touchdowns. Like I feel like he's coming into his own. And the second thing that jumped out for me was we're talking about Dembski and these touchdowns, right? Where he's got six of them in the month of September, the two specific plays that they scored on Buck Pierce as a lover of offensive football, the way he schemed up both of those, I know from talking to Mike Daly, a whole lot, who's been a friend since I moved to McMaster and Hamilton in 2010, free safety at Mac, goes and plays with the Ticats for basically a decade, does the podcast here whenever we can. He's coaching at Laurier right now, so we haven't been able to get that one off the ground a whole lot. But I know that I, I would talk to him about CFL concepts, right? And the diagonal is a primary concept in all CFL route trees. Basically, the inside slot back, number three to the field, will release whatever way is best possible on the Sam linebacker. And then he's running like a deep over route. And sometimes co- coaches will say, you know, you got to cross the free safety's face and then you allow your quarterback to make a read off where the free safety goes, whatever. The specific play that they ran where Dembski runs the diagonal directly towards the free safety on the backside. I think it was at a quads as well. So it's kind of like, you know, they the rotate over the backside. He runs the diagonal and then he just straightens up and yep. just runs straight down the field. And it's like, that's the type of stuff where it seems simple, but that is a, like, when you're scheming that up, it's disgusting because Buck Bierce is sitting there in an offensive meeting and he goes, okay, when we run the diagonal out of quads, this is what they do, how they rotate the backside. Dembski, do you just want to turn and run to the end zone and we'll just find you? And it's like, so that's the first one. And the second one is the in and up. Because yep. be- before I even saw like the little stutter in and up, which he runs that route as well as anybody in the CFL, Dembski does when he scored the touchdown, I was like, oh, that had to be a double move, like something in the middle of the field because he's just too open. And again, it's just, it's it's putting your players in situations to have success by understanding the opponent you're playing against and then executing with precision that nobody else in the CFL is, especially on the deep ball, which as we know, is the game breaker, the difference maker in the Canadian Football League. So Kalaros to Dembski, the connection along with Buck Pierce scheming things up, Mike O'Shea giving Pierce the freedom to be able to draw these things up and take these shots, in whatever down and distance and field position, it's like, that's why the Bombers are scary offensively. Because, yeah, the run game is coming into it. And, yes, Rashid Bailey is getting better. But, yeah, Schoen has been good. Maybe they get Ellingson back. That right there, to me, is the reason why, even if they're in a playoff game against Calgary or BC or whoever comes out of these playoffs, you're in the Grey Cup and you're struggling. If you get to the fourth quarter and you got Claros there and you've got a great scheme and some shot plays drawn up, they can get back mm-hmm. into a game at any point, which is kind of why the Hamilton game was so confusing. You were, you were just waiting for it. You're like, they're going to do something here. They're going to they're gonna blow the doors off and come storming back, and then it just kind of never did. Well, yeah, they, that game, they get within 10, and then Hamilton just sucks all the air out of the room with that yeah. nine-minute drive, right? That was the, the defense, one of the rare times the defense lets them down uh, in that one. Uh, I, the other one uh, from Dembski in that game, and I, I don't know why, I honestly don't know why it worked, but I wonder if it was a tendency thing. Uh, he's busting up the seam and then he kind of chops like he's going to make an in-cut at like the two-yard line, which is, uh, and I thought, this is way too far downfield to do an in-breaking route, but here comes Mike Adam to, to try and kill him. Dembski's like, out the back door, touchdown, yeah. celebrate, throw it in the crowd, we're all good. Like, it's it's uh, it's incre- it's impressive. I was talking to Coach O'Shea about it. Uh, nine different times this season, they've had five guys carry the ball in a single game, so... Wow. Brady Oliveira is the every down back, but here's Greg McRae or Rasheed Bailey or Dalton Schoen or Greg Ellingson or somebody's doing jet sweeps and 
and somebody's there they've in the last few weeks incorporated other plays for Dembski where he's a receiver and it's technically a pass play but he's the three strong and he and he you know just kind of comes inside and and just they just pop the ball just a little pop and he and he takes it up the middle like it's a you know it's a zone run play and you go all right well that's that's there too and oh uh Dembski Dembski hits that Doug Brown was just marveling how Dembski hits that jet sweep as well yeah. like he'll take it outside he'll turn it right up field whatever's available and man that guy is fast like he hits that he hits the line of scrimmage doing 100 miles an hour and all of a sudden here's 15 free yards on a, on a run play that we've talked about this on broadcast there's no player in the Canadian Football League that's used the way Nick Dembski is. Yeah. Uh, Hamilton tries to do it with Tim White, Braylon Addison, sort of. Uh, they'll they'll run it from slot. They'll run it from running back, that part. But Dembski has, in his career, 50 carries from running back, a ton of carries from the slot. He's generally a short-targeted receiver. Three-quarters of his targets are under 10 yards downfield. But he also is with the absolute elite in big plays. Yeah. Though, So most of it's concentrated near the line of scrimmage. He's with the Darrell Walkers as far as making 50-plus yard catches. It's incredible, and he's Canadian, and we're in a we're in a nice era for Canadian receivers, right, between him and Gittens Mittens and Schaefenbake <laughs> in Saskatchewan. Like, we're, we're in a real impressive era, and coaches are letting Canadian receivers do a lot of stuff. The right Canadian receiver, we right. have to be said, do a lot of stuff right now. Yeah, no doubt. And I would add to that conversation of the way that people are being used, like obviously Keen Schaefer Baker's being used in some unique ways in Saskatchewan, whether it be the running back, the jet sweep stuff. Um, Tyson Philpot in Montreal is quickly growing. Yes. He's quickly growing into what they want that to become. So it is exciting. I, I have been hammering our TSN producers that every single time we possibly can get that board up on a national broadcast of leading Canadian receivers. And you're there where it's like, Bahar and Gittens and Schaefer Baker and, and you start put, putting all those names up there I'm like make these guys household names like we've got the players for them to be household let's just keep putting and extend it from top five to top ten like because we have ten high quality receivers that are across the Canadian Football League that are in this spot right now so uh, before yeah. we get out of here we got just a couple of minutes left but I do want to ask you uh, not an easy question to answer in you know five minutes or less but something I've been interested in did a sports center piece on it uh, this week, wrote an article on CFL.ca on it last week, but I wanted your take on it. The Edmonton Elks have found new and interesting ways to continue their home losing streak. They have re-signed their quarterback going forward, who you and I both have just been, I don't know if the right word is enamored, confused. Um, he, he has been a difficult analysis. And they re-sign him going into next year for a team that I don't know who the hell is going to be back in Edmonton next year based on the way things have gone and who's at the helm of that organization. What are, this is the question, what are we to make of Taylor Cornelius as currently constituted? I'm just going to rub my temples for a moment to uh, <laughs> breathe. To make this, breathe. Um, his, the 105 yard interception return for a touchdown Normally that ball is just batted into the ground, right? So though I feel like I don't know this for sure, and you can explain it better. I feel like quarterbacks with an on-rushing linebacker free, you should not get that ball knocked down. And it's your fault if you get that knocked down. But I'm willing to concede that you know some other things may happen. Here's the thing: um, 
Cornelius feels like a unique skilled player, right? His ability to run the football is incredible. His ability to keep plays alive, incredible. His arm strength, his arm strength is incredible. But this is a story that since I started tracking the CFL, like I've seen the story a million times of this guy's got great tools, but he's not an accurate passer. Uh, I just had to pull it up compared to expected. So if you just basically, I just plot every throw a guy makes left hash, right hash, whatever it is, is it going boundary? Is it going field? Where is it? How wide is it? How far downfield is it? Take that compare it to every other pass that's been thrown that way in the last seven years. So that's, 40,000 passes we're getting to how often has it been thrown accurately how often does he throw it accurately so you get an expected accuracy percentage and how someone compares to expected (sighs) taylor cornelius is nine points below expected just ahead of vernon adams and caleb evans and a far the one ahead of him is bowley by mitchell but he's a far ways behind bowley by mitchell he is not an accurate passer and listening to the broadcast, the radio broadcast, you heard Dave Campbell and Morley Scott. Dave Campbell's like, that's an awful throw. Like, you can't throw that at his feet. You can't leave that ball inside him. He just – and at, at this point, is it is it something technical? Is it Does he just need to set his feet? I honestly don't think that's it. I just don't think he can pass accurately. And you cannot survive and you cannot sign a guy through 2024 if he can't throw the ball from A to B reliably. He can hammer deep outs to Mike Jones, and he can lay off. The the pass you ha- highlighted on Twitter at TSN underscore Marsh goes 45 yards back across the grain. That's insane. That's insane. But that was one of his nine accurate passes in the game, right? And you just can't survive in the Canadian Football League, probably any football, honestly, if you can't pass the ball accurately and there's nothing in his – 300 attempts this season that says this guy could be an accurate passer. So I get why you'd fall in love with him, but I get why he's going to break your heart too. Yeah. I think that's the perfect way to summarize his game right there at the end is because I keep having people say like, you see the progress, don't you? And I'm like, I see flashes of it. I see, but like in very, very small, like rolling to his right in Calgary where he throws a rope to the back of the end zone to Jalen Marshall, where he's getting chased by cam judge. I'm like, Oh damn. Like, that's a play. Like, that's unique. But to your point, like, you mentioned arm strength, and you went arm strength. Like, he's strong. He's got – you know how many balls he underthrows on deep balls? It's like that that dude misses short because he doesn't just let it fly. And I do see, yeah. you know, using the legs, I think his scramble percentage this year is 8% compared to 3.7% 2021 when I crunched it the other day. So he's taking off and running almost twice the amount because maybe he's more comfortable – uh, you know, where he's throwing the football, a little bit more heavy in the check down zone, short middle between the hashes. That tells me that maybe he's becoming more patient. Maybe he's not trying to force it into smaller windows. Like all of that stuff is good, but the end result in the CFL is just like we talk about the deep ball and Dembski and the double moves and the scheming. You can play yourself into games like that. You can play yourself out of games really quickly with one or two big mistakes. And the thing that was concerning for me this past week is against Montreal. He makes that, you know, the Beverett picks it off, takes it back to the house. Afterwards, he came back. There was like three straight interceptable passes. Yes. That's concerning for me because that goes to show like in 2021, that dude was climbing uphill against just a pile of sludge and he could never get right. And he was surrounded by just a disaster. The offense was all off. The receivers weren't running the right routes a lot of the time, but he was inaccurate in that moment as well. This year, it's like, okay, a little bit better organized. 
feel as though he's got some better surroundings. And yet there's still moments where you're just like, the confidence dies. Like Paul Appleese just got let go because Sean Burke said there might've been a loss of confidence in the room. I don't know if Taylor Cornelius inspires a room. I think he's a decent quarterback. I think he can chuck it deep. I think he's got a big body that looks like a pro quarterback. I don't know if he inspires confidence as much as half the guys in this league do better. Yeah, I'm with you. And I can, I just visualized all those passes you were talking about. Like, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, Chris, they're building weapons there, right? I mean, Kenny Lawler, uh, Dylan Mitchell, and Darrell Walker, plus Kevin Brown, who is five yards after contact per rush so He's far. Nice. Like, He's nice. it's, it's, it's nice. It, it's working. That stuff, there's foundational pieces on the offense. But, Give me, give me, give me Matt Nichols more than give me Taylor Cornelius because again, like people, people are discovering. Oh, I'm discovering this. This is it's on a steady upward climb. Like he has 17 for 34 games. Like his yeah. completion percentage is still under 60. Like he may be getting better, but it's still not even average. So what are you really getting? And the the biggest thing point? that I tried to highlight in, in the Sports Center piece today was uh, that from 10 to 20 yards depth he is attacking that part of the field more than well above the league average. Like he isn't interested in zero to 10. He's a 10 to 20 guy. He likes to put the ball in those spots, but his completion percentage, both in 2021 and in 2022 from 10 to 20 yards is atrocious. Like he, he's not completing much. So he's pushing the ball, which historically there's more value found in pushing the ball 10 to 20 rather than zero to 10, because when you get the completions, you're moving the sticks or you're getting the big plays, or you're getting the touchdowns, you're getting yards after catch because you're running free through the secondary. But if you're not completing those passes and it's like way below the CFL average, that's where it becomes an issue. It's like, cool. I like your approach and your style of play. Admittedly, he's kind of fun to watch because I don't really know what's going to happen. I just know that it's going to kind of be interesting all the time, except for when you do get 17 of 34 and you do get two interceptions and one of them goes to the house and all of a sudden Edmonton feels like they're playing from behind the entire game. And uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't know what the the rationale necessarily was uh, with all of that. I do know that I got a text from somebody the second that Cornelius got the extension that said, where does Trey Ford get traded? And, and I, I I don't think that's an inevitability, but I do think that that's an interesting question with him under contract going forward is like, do they use Trey as a package guy? Does he get love from somewhere else where somebody comes asking whether or not he's available? It's just, it's a thought because he certainly created a lot of energy around the league for a short period of time. Well, and, and that would, that would fill into my narrative that I, I don't think Chris Jones is particularly good at GM. I don't think he's proven he's a good GM yet. And that, that would be, if that's how this plays out with Trey Ford, Couple of those trade. One of those trades was let's let's move up, get that another first round pick. Let's get Trey Ford. Boom, let's go. Yeah. And if you then minimize and totally neuter that trade, well, that trade now even looks even worse. So that's that. I hadn't even thought of that, but that's something to uh, to watch going forward. And that would certainly go into my. I don't know if you're good at the personnel acquisition. You're great at generating pressure off three man rushes. That's incredible. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, by the way, uh, if we have a sec. Yep. Ottawa got a, got a Lorenzo Malden sack on a two-man rush, two versus five against BC. And that's the funniest thing I saw all week. Lorenzo Malden legit hammered by guard tackle all the way through. And the league sack leader just uh, just worked <laughs> it at a normal time. Like uh, Mike uh, Mike Benavides in the two-man rush is, is one of my 
one of my favorite very minor plot lines of 2022. Amazing. But yeah, Chris Jones has a he may a great defensive coach, maybe, but uh, the personnel acquisition, I still I need a lot of convincing that that's that's good. I hear you. I hear you. DT, let people know where they can catch you this week in your uh, journey around the Canadian Football League. At DT on OB on Twitter, as always, 6 o'clock Winnipeg time is the uh, Bombers and Elks. The Bombers can clinch the West Final. He said with his fingers crossed pregame at 4 uh, online, cgob.com. And it will not be on his phone. We promise. It'll be okay this week. <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs>